Hey, Small Beans listener, did you know we're in the process of trying to make a movie? It's true. It's called Papa Bear and tells the story of the time my dad came out as a gay furry when I was 17. We're currently looking for investors, creative partners, and talent to attach to the project. If you'd like to know more or to see our script, lookbook, and business plan, please hit us up at allthesmallbeans at gmail.com. Small Beans patrons can also listen in on the whole process by checking out our movie production diary series over at the Patreon. Thanks for your time, and now, on with the pod. And welcome back to Like Razor Blade Pie. Yum yum. Uh, this is a bite sized book club covering the short speculative fiction of one Harlan Ellison, my favorite author of all time. My name's Michael Swaim. I'm your intrepid host. And as always, I'm joined by one guest in like an intimate black box theater in the round with one sultry, smoke filled column of light, barely. You can barely make out our faces, and they're just inches apart. Hello, who is it? Who's here? Hi, it's me. It's it's Griffin. <laughs> Welcome, Griffin Rowell. Uh, what you know, people would know you from. Well, the Beans will know you from science or whatever, primarily, but also recently our Greasy Strangler episode. My You're on the gamut, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and now we uh, now we're going into some some other waters here today. That's right. Uh, I take the coolest people I know that are accessible to me and I just throw them into the system. So and see what every combination of topic and person is like a yeah. different orchestra getting together. You get a different sound. So let's see what Ellison X Rowell sounds like. Uh, we're covering a story called The Death Bird today, which is boy, howdy. <laughs> it's a it's a banger. It's a zinger. Or it, like, I'll say is. this. It's one of Ellison's most. It's a big swing. He often takes big swings, but I mean epic in the true sense. It deals with the death of the earth and the end of all humanity and God and the devil and uh, etc. Like the big primal archetypal questions. And uh, it's way longer than his usual short stories. So thank you for buckling down and reading. It's not like a novel it's like or anything. Twenty-five but thank pages. You, for re- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But usually his stories are like nine to. 15 pages. So this is meaty for him. It appears in the collection called Deathbird Stories. So like it's the title story. It's the centerpiece uh, of the collection. And of it, he said, for my farewell shot, here is a rewritten Genesis advancing the theory that the snake was the good guy. And since God writes PR releases, snake simply got a lot of bad press. So we're going to dive into it. Uh, Griffin, you do you know, I know you're not even a sci-fi guy, or like I know you to mostly read historical biographies um, historically. I haven't in our done relationship. that in a while, actually. But well, well, you're also a phasal being, so yeah, yeah that phase has passed. But but uh, did you ever have like a sci-fi reading sci-fi phase? Um, I mean, I've read sci-fi throughout my life. Yeah, I mean, okay, I've read, I've read the, the Hyperion. Is it oh yeah, we've talked Hyperion. Yeah, I've Cantos, read all the. I think it's, yeah, I've I've read all 
Yeah. How pretentious. Gibson, <laughs> Stevenson, and um, oh yeah, Philip K. Randall's Dick. End. You just uh, referred me to, yeah. Um, but have you ever? Uh, uh, you know encountered what? I Ellison before. I haven't really done uh, Ellison actually. Okay. And I think I nice. might after this. Uh, I I might love Vonnegut too. Yeah. Which that's I'd consider, to hear. I'd consider that sci-fi. Oh, totally. Yeah, I'm, he considered himself sci-fi. Okay, okay. It's also, not, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't really satisfy the sci-fi thing because it's not really, it's not really painting an image of the future as much as just Kurt Vonnegut's universe. That, that's true. I don't know if that makes sense, but to me, it does. And Deathbird, even I would say, is more like a religious allegory. There's no like hard science in it to speak of. No, that's um, true. Yeah, yeah. I, but uh, Ellison is such is known so is so synonymous with sci-fi that we still go, well, it's sci-fi. Ellison wrote it. I, I mean, you know what I mean. I, it's Xenogears is the is the plot. <laughs> okay. Speaking of that, that takes us to my first question. For people who aren't reading along, which I do think is the whack-ass way to enjoy this podcast, that's why I picked short stories. You should read them before listening to the episode. I do think it's way more enriching. But if people didn't, and just to refresh us so we have a base of conversation, for conversation, um, what's the elevator recap? You know, Can you give me the 30 to 60 second recap of the plot of Deathbird? Yeah, a uh, guy wakes up after 250,000 years being guided by some sort of shadowy death-like figure only to find out that he's Adam and I guess many other his- near historical figures, never the, never the star of the show. And right. uh, he's guided along an apocalyptic landscape uh, to confront the mad king uh creator of i guess just earth it sounds like uh the god that we know i don't think the universe no it doesn't sound like yeah the judeo-christian god um and it sounds like he's charged with killing him but he decides that he's too pathetic to kill and returns to be with his friend to uh, which is the death-like figure at that point to uh, enjoy the end of days. Yeah, which is signified by a bird, a cosmic planet-sized bird called the Death Bird coming and like roosting on your planet and lowering its wings over your planet and that presumably everything dies. And that's like it, the curtain pull on existence. It, it sounds like it just kind of erases the planet too. Is what, yeah. Is what, like it kind of just kind of like absorbs it or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's what I got goes right up that cloak that cosmic cloak <laughs> that's right um all right yeah that's and then there's a bunch of as is often the case with harlan ellison which is part of the reason i love him so much then there's a bunch of other stuff in the story yeah <laughs> also like it's about other stuff but we'll get into that more as we go so on this show i do try to pick guests i pick no i pick the guests first based on scheduling and who i want to have on but i pick stories for a reason so can you guess why i paired this story with you and spoiler or like a clue for you i guess and spoiler for the audience I, I'm going to have you back on again consecutively. Like, this is a two-part. We're going to cover two stories. So, I don't know if that's a clue or not. But why do you think I made you read The Death Bird? I, not because I love Xenogears, I'm assuming. <laughs> no. 
but pl- you can speak to that if you'd like. Xenogears <laughs> is my f- is my favorite video game from the PlayStation One. It was an RPG that was basically the story of Adam and Eve finding out that they'd been reincarnated and they needed to kill God because it was actually some sort of extraterrestrial super weapon that had sent them on a scouting mission to take over Earth back in the day. And uh, they ran out of money halfway through and the second half of the game is the, is one of the characters sitting in a rocking chair telling the plot. But I still just yeah. loved it so much. <laughs> And did you, because Xenosaga, right? They did a second one. They, Xenosaga, yeah, Xenosaga, well, Xenosaga was a much better produced game. but More money, yeah. It did not, it did not capture the, the grandeur of killing God at the end of it. <laughs> killing God, yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, I see it. Yeah, you find out God is not what you thought and then you kill it. That makes sense. I see the connection. Well, not just not what you thought, but as evil and trying to is destroy acting everything. against your best interests. Yeah. 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 Um, so no, I don't. Why? Why did you have me read this? Story? Oh no, not because of that. It was because uh, uh, the I would say doomerism is at an all time high, um, and in my circle of close friends, you're maybe. You're in an extreme minority and may I like maybe the only one I know where we have talks and you're like, you don't think the world is ending soon necessarily. Like not that you don't think there are major like climate change will have and is already having major repercussions, blah, blah, blah. And there will be struggles and humans will have to adapt to whatever. But like as far as I know, unless this has changed. You don't think the world is ending in our lifetime, right? Well, what do you mean the world? I think people conflate two different things. There's the earth and then there's humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that story is about this, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the other, so I think this is an interesting story, which basically takes the position that, that the earth is sick and explicitly compares it to a sick human who's in pain and uh, ultimately comes up with the, and I think Ellison in part is just being audacious here because what a hot take when you boil it down to a sentence, but he's saying like, we should just kill the earth as a mercy killing. Like it's over. Um, We should call it now. Like the earth is crying out in pain. We should probably, as he says repeatedly in the thing, get the needle out. Like it's time for that. Yeah. Um, And I know, I don't even think we're because even if he so it's see he seems to mean the whole earth. And I do think he's doing the conflating thing like, well, even if it's time for humanity, don't kill all life on earth. But um, but what do you you still think humanity is not going to die in the near future, right? No. And so, you know, maybe maybe people won't agree with this, but I actually think that the attitude that humanity will wipe itself out off the face of the earth is actually this it's it's the other side of the hubris coin from what's gotten us into this precarious situation like if we actually think that our act that our actions will cause such cataclysmic disaster that it will kill all life which is what people end up taking it to the extreme then we are really saying that we're that we're gods. And I really don't think that we are that powerful. I'm not saying that anthro, anthropogenic climate change 
is not real because it obviously is and nuclear weapons are real obviously um and there's I, no snow cramps like and that's real yeah <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? yeah um and we could i i mean we could push things to a point where humanity won't be able to live but i don't i just don't see that our actions could continue because we would dwindle to a size where we would have you ever heard of like the predator prey model of like a, it's like a, a oh math. like there is a balancing like when force you learn meaning. De- yeah when you learn differential well, equations the wolf population goes up the rabbit population goes down or whatever and then at some point there's an equilibrium and they chase each other over this this time and humans have the capability of augmenting what that cycle is so you know in the beginning that cycle was it, it actually could have been less than what it is now because we didn't have farming methods and things so if hunter gatherers gathered in the same concentration as a city they probably would have died off much much bef- you know much earlier than they could have uh mm. you know just destroyed the landscape and so we artificially stretch one part of that wavelength yes so and to speak yeah and i i really do take the the attitude that you know, we we will come up with technologies to stretch that further and further. Um, but I do want to say that the this like hyperbole is dangerous mm-hmm. because there are so many consequential eventualities that are going to happen. Like just because I don't think humanity is going to die off. And I think the majority of Americans will probably be fine, even though we'll be we'll bitch about how hot it is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people the hurricanes will happen and et cetera. Yeah, it'll but be you're saying these are survivable events. Right. Still, they're, as they're, a nation. They're, they're more yeah. as a nation. They're more economic events than anything else. Like it's going to cost us more to power our air conditioners. We'll have to make more wind power or solar power or whatever. Uh, well, it's funny to me, like, yes, the oil. <laughs> Eventually, at some point, Earth will run out of oil. And I think you'll be surprised, quote unquote, how fast humanity pivots and is like, okay, now we'll do renewable. And it's like you were just fucking scraping the bottom of the keg before you were willing to switch it up because that's profitable. Well, I mean, look, look, yeah, there's so many. uh, Just look at like slavery for example right once once someone has something that works they don't just, just don't want to give it up and like, they justify to themselves Look they have the whole mental constructs of how it's fine it's fine but really you're just thinking this is easy and makes me money i yeah. have to justify this somehow yeah, yeah. no one wants to give up it's cash a peculiar but, institution but beyond that i mean in other parts of the world that are both economically and geographically less advantaged than north america it is going to be cataclysmic. I mean, people, especially with heat waves and most right. people around the world not having access to air conditioning like we do, many, many people will die. I don't know what the numbers are, but it is going to be a horrible century for a lot of the world. Great. So with that as our foundation, I'll just say you can look forward next time because, right, 
uh, I think it's important to remember that like when an artist writes a song, for example, the strong emotional charge, but the same thing with short stories, it's just a frozen moment in time where you're inhabiting an emotional state or exploring an idea. Um, so often they're contradictory over the course of their lifetime. So next time we're going to cover a story, the core meaning of which is humanity cannot be like we are indomitable and we will come together and it'll all work out. Right. Mm. But this time we're doing the story that I think it's fair to say is very grim in so far. It's like loving, but like, but basically calling it or saying that we're fucked. Um, so first I want to talk about the fact that the story's punctuated with a bunch of test questions. And I mean, true or false, multiple choice test questions interspersed as if there were like a junior high level or maybe I guess freshman year of high school, like not complicated, but like actual t a test paper in front of you in chunks interspersed throughout the book story. So what do you think the impact or for you, what was the impact positive or negative of those test questions being interspersed throughout the story? Did you get anything from, and before we go through the questions, I just mean like having test questions at all, right? Like as a strategy, what was that about? Oh, I think uh, I actually really liked it because I've never, like I said, I'd never read any Ellison before, which is kind of surprising to me. But uh, his prose is a little bit more difficult than most authors. <laughs> it's not mm. it's not in a, it's not in a standard format. Right. Agreed. Um, it's very 60s psychedelic. <laughs> it is psychedelic and like time skippy and all, all this stuff. So I think the uh, you know, especially the first test questions they come at a point in the story where you're not actually sure what's happening yet. Mm -hmm. And throughout, I really liked the test questions were to me, at least guiding how I was viewing the situation to be what Harlan Ellison wanted me to view it as rather than how I might interpret it, but in a very obtuse way <laughs> where he would give the options to it or or actually maybe it maybe it's the opposite maybe it's allowing me to interpret it from a from a choose your own adventure kind of way but mm -hmm. um but i felt like the options you know range from silly to what i found to be pointed and like oh okay so this is this is the reality of this world that we're living in and yeah uh, this is how i should view these characters and what they're what they're doing and motivations and all that yeah it's that's an interesting way to put it because that didn't I didn't look at it that way, but it is true. Well, we've seen repeatedly on the show already. Harlan Ellison does not shy away from like some authors going, no, I meant this and telling you exactly what he meant. Very opinionated, very transparent. Well, his writing is up to sentence to sentence. I mean, he was an open book about. And in fact, a signature of his in his short story collections is almost every time his short stories have a page before them where he says, like, I wrote this story at this time and I was thinking about this and I turned it into the story. This is a symbol for that. Enjoy the story. <laughs> like he is the opposite of artistically like unapproachable. Um, so, yeah, I want to actually take us through some of the test questions because I think they're really keen. I won't do the I think the, I mean, they're good questions. So, like, 
each of these could be an hour long podcast. So I'm not going to ask us to answer these. But for the listeners benefit, the first time we see the test questions, it's topics for discussion. It says five. You get five points per correct answer. Um, which I think is an interesting implication in of itself that these questions have correct answers like that bears discussion. But the questions are things like uh, it's like a close reading comprehension thing about Moby Dick. And sorry, I lost the page real quick. But it says, uh, so Moby Dick begins, call me Ishmael. We say because of this, that it's told in the first person. In what person is Genesis told? From whose viewpoint? Who is the good guy in the Genesis story? Who is the bad guy? Can you make any case for the reversal of those roles? So it's like an author. I mean, I think some people could find it heavy handed, but I don't. I buy this way of weaving it in where it's like, and yet when you step back and look at it, it's doing a thing an author is not supposed to do. And Ellison transcend like transgresses against the rules. I was taught in writing school all the time, which is what I love about him. He's going like, you should think this while you're reading this. It's like straight up yeah. just pull. It's like Penn and Teller, how they deconstruct magic tricks by showing you the magic trick. Um, yeah. I mean, there's 10 questions that he has you keep in mind while you're reading. Uh, but I did want us to do the multiple choice ones because I just think how often do you get to do that on the show? That's fun. So there's multiple choice portions of the quiz, and I'm going to have us actually take the quiz. Um, flipping, flipping. Oh, interesting. I guess they come mostly near the end. Yeah, yeah. Which the is an interesting point structurally that I didn't notice. But, okay, multiple choice part of the quiz. It counts for half of our final grade. One, God is... A, an invisible spirit with a long beard. B, a small dog dead in a hole, which is a reference that to a, a chunk you get earlier in the story about a true and uh, interestingly, like autobiographical, actually autobiographical. It is true oh. journalism. Uh, it's an essay Harlan Ellison wrote for a class about a time about when his dog died and he buried his dog in his backyard. And, uh, that's inserted in here as well. So, uh, a small dead dog in a hole. C. Every man. D. The Wizard of Oz. Would you pick? <laughs> or I, I, what are your thoughts on the question? Oh uh, well, I picked Wizard of Oz. Okay, great. Per well, then that's that might be all you have to say because I'm like yeah. each of them is a whole. F like I love that each of those is like I know what he means, right? Like yeah. each is a school of thought. Every right. man. And he references the movement and the phrase thou art God uh, earlier in the story. So like, yeah, some yeah. Nietzsche stuff going on throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Nietzsche wrote God is dead. By this, did he mean a life is pointless? And this is an interesting one because that's what I always thought he meant. And I took that for granted. But then I realized, no, it could mean all this shit. B, belief in supreme deities has waned, right? Like it could just mm -hmm. mean that. C, there never was a God to begin with, right? The idea of God is dead. Okay. Or D, thou art God. Like God is dead could be meant to elevate the human spirit. Um, God is not necessary to you anymore. Yeah. That's what I always picked it as what, what, did you, what do you think for that one? Oh, you said you the first one is what you always... i thought it was a i thought he was i thought nietzsche was like an edgelord a philosophical edgelord who's being like my hot take is god is real but he got killed like i no. just always thought he was trying to be edgy but i'm like no there is it made me appreciate nietzsche in a new way i was like actually that statement is profound and has stuff to unpack in it for sure um, number three, ecology is another name for a mother love you mother lover B enlightened self-interest C 
a good salad, a good healthy salad with granola or D God. Those are all kind of just jokey, but except for D, right? Ecology is another name for God is an interesting thought. Yeah, which that's what I that was my though. Ellison wants me to pick that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the one where it's implicit in the question Um, Four, which of these phrases most typifies the profoundest kind of love. A, don't leave me with strangers, which is what he describes um, the mother, Nathan Stack's mother in the story, the sort of vibe she was putting off when he put a needle in her arm and killed her was don't leave me with strangers. I'd rather die in my son's presence. And of course he brings it up with the dog, a time where the dog gave him a look like, don't leave me with strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, B I love you. So uh, yeah, that makes sense. C God is love or D use the needle. <laughs> well, yeah, I think he's going with use the needle. <laughs> I think again, he's trying to get you to pick D. Okay, that one's yeah. when you read it out loud. And then five, which of these powers do we associate with God? Power, love, humanity, docility. That is super interesting to me. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. <laughs> that God is passive, or is he? Or is he in everything? Or like, it does he controlling everything? Is he controlling nothing? They, uh, it. Whatever. Um, So, yeah, I just I think the test questions are it's amazing how much a single word or literally just assembling. It's like an artist just placing two elements together and you go, oh, that is actually interesting. I never thought of the connection between those two things. Uh, Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Um, But since we've touched on it now and didn't really bring it up in the capsule synopsis. It has an autobiographical section about his dead dog. It's got a section about Nathan Stack, who has lived many lives, who is a.k.a. Adam, the biblical Adam. Um, A scene where in one of his lives he helped his mother to pass when she was old and in pain. Uh, I think I know your answer based and your impression based on like, you know, why I paired the story with you. But did this at all win you over or deepen your understanding of Like, do you believe in mercy killing? And do you think that metaphor applies at all to a planet or an ecosystem? Or do you think that's like a false analogy? I think it's a total false equivalency. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I thought you might think that. And then it goes back to the conflating of it is, is the Earth existed at a time when it was covered in magma and was, you know, almost being ripped apart by the forces of the of the solar system. And now it's calmed down a bit and it's got a bunch of tiny little insignificant specks crawling around on it and it can easily exist if all of that was gone and Mm -hmm. it doesn't like i just don't i just don't understand why we give this power to living things when they're basically you know uh yeah they're basically accidents of the universe in my in my view, I do think it's very specifically nukes or like for 60s and 70s and 50s sci fi writers. I think well, it's and that they lived well, just like I feel like 9 11 did actually change our media, and um, nukes being dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima changed their media, you know, the previous mm. generation's media for sure. Like, yeah, that's when we started investigating. But, but even that, I don't know. I always was raised hearing you, did you know Russia has enough nukes to completely destroy the earth to the point that it would just be dust floating in space? Was something I heard as a kid, I, but I, but and I don't still, know if that's true. That's still, <laughs> that still is so crazy to me because yeah i can't remember but i you hear 
figures on Fallout, it's like, oh, it's uninhabitable for 10,000 years or something like that. And you're like, that's and actually I, nothing like, to it's, Earth. It's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's a million years, it's nothing. As long mm. as there's some amino acid somewhere, like, and and water exists and something hasn't happened to, like, stop the core of the Earth from spinning. Or the sun, right? And well, by our that's best estimate, billion years. Ago I was going to say that means the Earth still has billions of years to work yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm just, you know, yeah. I mean, okay. Mars probably at some point in the past was more Earth-like, and it did stop. So maybe that will happen with the Earth at some point in the future. But to equate our activities with that is it's hubris it really it really is it gives us yeah. so much more significance than we have the one that scares me is or a random one i heard super volcano it's pretty scary of course as a concept but the one that recently i learned that i'm like oh that's spooky was someone telling me like i have no idea if it's true they're like you know uh every once in a while the way planets work like the magnetic poles could just reverse and every that would fuck up everything and i'm like oh is that true i didn't know that or they're like or a solar flare if it's too big would wipe out all technology on earth and we would descend into chaos because the power grid's gone instantly i'm like oh that would so, be bad i don't know the specifics i think the the pole reversal thing is kind of a bullshit um, yeah, solar flares, mm -hmm. asteroids, mega volcanoes. But guess what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about I, I don't know about the solar flare. I don't know if we have any evidence of like something mm -hmm. that wiped out most of like but EMP. The or asteroid whatever. and the mega volcanoes, ha super volcanoes have happened in the past. Those mm -hmm. have already happened. Yeah, and life persists. So, all right. So call it. That's the next question. Um, if you had to call it. And this is on the record and people will compare to see if you guess correctly. Humanity will end eventually. All things are are temporary. Um, as far as we know, if, if the way we perceive time, let's say that all things must pass. Mm -hmm. How do you think humanity will end? What will get us? Will we slowly peter out because we've evolved to a point where we can't reproduce or will we turn into energy what's the end of the recognizable human race will we invent robots that supplant us as the dominant life form what's the thing um i mean will we exist until the planet will until the no, sun like i don't think so i don't think i mean like us. again so sharks and crocodiles have been around for like a couple hundred million years right mm -hmm. and that's incredible that that those species right are, are close to what their ancestors were also uh, so interesting to me how much we value our higher intelligence you do not need it to succeed clearly no <laughs> yeah. but the way that our and now i i would say something that we should uh, look out for maybe is that the way we're using technology i you know if if we really do gain control over genetic material and reconfiguring it I, you know i can see a, a future where humans stop valuing humanity as a species um and move on to something that's more fun or useful or smarter mm -hmm. or whatever um other than that i mean it it could be a giant asteroid or something. I who knows? Where you're knows, like really? a a cosmic scale disaster could kill us. Yes, you yeah. grant that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. Me, right? We don't even understand all the forces in the universe yet. We're still working on quantum shit. So, like, you know, 
some wave could sweep by and kill us all that we don't even yeah, understand could, why or where it came from. <laughs> right, yeah, there could just be some gamma gamma wave, right? Burst that just, that's kinda, like, yeah. oops. Yeah. And I mean, I guess we could make the environment so uninhabitable that we all die. But like, does that even make sense? I, I feel like we would, we're very adaptable. And with the amount of technology that we already have, Unless all of that was wiped out at the same time. Right. It just doesn't, it just doesn't sound right to me. I don't know. Okay. Well, the other thing this story really gets at, of course, are the creation myths because we find out Nathan Stack is Adam reincarnated again and again and ultimately buried in the core of the earth so that he can come back like an assassin and fulfill his destiny and kill God because God is nuts. And his the shadow-like, snake-like creature that Griffin mentioned is explicitly Satan, the snake from the Bible. And we find out that they are actually both aliens, right? I, or I don't yeah. know. Did you not? I got the read that they're aliens. So he, the uh, what's his name? Dira is an alien. Dira. Yeah, D-I-R-A. But, it, the snake. but is God an alien? Or I guess it must be. I thought they were two alien species yeah, who seed, I think so. go around the universe seeding life on planets because they said we've created many worlds for many fine species. And uh, and they had an arbitration, a cosmic arbitration about whose jurisdiction is this planet. And you get a little scene where Dira is defeated in debate or whatever and is like, oh, no, this asshole is going to control life on earth and we get the impression that god is some like maniac psycho asshole that everyone hates and that's the god we have which in and of itself and is, is an interesting swing so that's what i want so i'm going to jump to a question later in my list but if you think there is a humanoid god and i only mean humanoid insofar as our intelligence right like you process they process time and physics roughly in a way we would recognize if there's a humanoid judeo-christian like god that that controls destinies or even observes us whether they control or not how likely is it that they're insane by our standards like when you look at life on earth do you don't you think life kind of speaks to an insane chaos god yeah, that I mean, makes sense to me. I it, it does to me too, and I I would have to question because if, for something to have the ability to seed life like that, it would it would have to have some very advanced knowledge of physics and chemistry, like, you know, obviously way beyond what we have right now. Because right? even we don't fathom, we're like, amino acids came together, but exactly why? I mean, I remember well, in school, the, the image in my textbook was lightning striking a lake, and I'm like, I guess that's how life started. But yeah, like, I do mean, we really know? No, 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 <laughs> no, of course not. And, uh, but my question is, is like, okay, in this Ellison story, is evolution and like the formation of the solar system true? Or are we talking you know, literal interpretation, God created everything in six days and it's 6,000 years ago or whatever. I think, especially because of that blurb I read that he tacked on the beginning, that this is basically, you have to keep in mind, God as the victor gets to write the press release. So the question, so the idea is that God himself wrote the Bible. It is the divine word, but God is self-serving. So it's lies that make him look Mm -hmm. good. So by that vantage, I think the story is saying that God only has dominion over the earth, but he tells us he has dominion over the universe, because why wouldn't he? Right. Okay. And I would say that um, that makes it less so. But still, in order to 
Actually, no, no, and more so because they still have to, they would have to have enough knowledge to seed life to go from single-celled organism to human, right? If that was their ultimate goal, if they're humanoid mm-hmm. in some way, if they're like trying to create a sentient intelligence. Um, and I think from a human vantage point, if we're going by like the average human, something mm-hmm. with that kind of knowledge would appear insane, even if it was totally benevolent. <laughs> so I, like people have yeah. thought physicists are insane in the past. So I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think the, uh, the bar on insanity is pretty low for our species. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you only go back a couple hundred years, people who thought, differently to the point that we now today call schizophrenia or dilute right they were we were like they're possessed by demons drill their skull open yeah which is Um, so we're still just at the beginning of figuring our shit out yeah (laughs) based on the shape of our discussion i'm skipping some of the questions i threw out pre uh taping just because i'm like i think i know your answer it was wrapped up in the previous answer so let me see if there's anything here i want to ask before we move on to the segmented portion of the show I just think I know your answers and they're boring, but I'll ask, what do you, do you think there's any odds? Cause the universe is, I think we're on a long enough timeline that I think it's possible, but do you think there are any odds that we were seeded by an alien civilization or an intelligence, whether you call that God, I don't think it was the inspiration for our idea of Judeo Christian God, but I'm saying like, do you think there's any intelligence, alien or God, <laughs> responsible for the creation of humanity? Or do you think it's a bunch of matter collided in such a way that a magic trick happened? Oh, well, I think that those are both, those are just different ways of looking at something potentially. But uh, yeah, I actually just don't think if you get down to it, that a God is a type of entity. I think it would be something like an alien. Or who knows, some extra dimensional being, if you want to call that a god. But mm. what is like what is a god? I don't know. Um, I guess what I was, you know how humanity defines itself by a thing we call like intelligence or higher consciousness. I'm saying, do you think it's po- Do you think whatever gave rise to our existence has that quality? Well, I think that I I think it's possible. I do. Okay. Yeah, I I think that. Uh, I mean, really, we have so little idea, and especially mm-hmm. even even an asteroid could be carrying amino acids. Like it could be as simple as right. an accident, but it could have been an asteroid redirected by some alien species to crash crash into Earth too, uh, and that's how they do things. I mean, we've already started right. we've already started working on that now. And that's what's amazing to me is like the universe is so inexplicable in and of itself. Like the ultimate question that I think can never be answered is why is there something versus nothing? Uh, And like, you know, so for all I know, when you really think about the limits of our knowledge, you could zoom out and the universe could be one of a billion universes that exist in some kind of overarching system that I that we can't see or comprehend. Man, there's so much shit it could be. You just look yeah. up into space and it it is an unfathomable, unknowable mystery. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the fact that we know anything is a miracle, right? We, yeah, though we know a tiny little... Yeah, that, we can predict even, some stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, it, that it even makes sense is kind of, is kind of amazing. 
yeah, that you cohese into a body with a mind and look around and you can learn stuff and it stays consistent. I always, after I saw The Matrix, I used to always think, which is a stupid thought because of course that's why it is the laws of physics, but I'd be like, I'd look at a tree and I'd look at the shadow of that tree and how every leaf is perfectly replicated in the shadow and be like, man, the the processing power that the universe has as a computer is just off the charts, which is not even a meaningful thought, but you know what I mean? Like, it's so complex. Like, I was just thinking this yesterday, actually, so I guess I haven't grown that much, but like the fact that my eyeballs... On some level, my brain can instantaneously take in so much information because I was looking at like a pile of wood chips and I'm like, it's funny that I don't take time to process. Like right now I'm looking at a million little things and I see them all. And on some level, my brain registered them all. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've no, lost I mean, my thread. <laughs> no, but it is. It is incredible. And like, even impressive. the operations yeah. of the universe are incredible. Like quantum mechanics. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about you know, the fact that the sun shouldn't even exist if it weren't for quantum mechanics, because mm-hmm. the amount of energy that the atoms in the sun have is not technically enough to create the reactions necessary to keep the sun burning. It's only yeah. because they what can does that mean? Go yeah. Through, <laughs> yeah, it's only because they can tunnel through each other's energy in some inexplicable way, probabilistically, that fusion happens. And that's incredible like literally the lights of the universe are nearly magical (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah that's true and an infinite source of energy uh near infinite okay let's do harlan's parlance this is the segment where we just read any lines we thought were killer i only have a couple you don't have to have any yeah this is actually uh no i don't have any Great. Sorry. Okay, that's fine. I'll just do them. Because another thing, uh, much like Vonnegut's, where Alex Schmidt and I covered Kurt Vonnegut stuff, I am just trying to convince people to read more Harlan Ellison. And I like Harlan Ellison specifically because of the execution of his writing sentence to sentence, mm. which you don't get from us just discussing the theme. So here's some. I actually mentioned this passage in a previous episode. This is that rock passage that I was going on about. Nathan Stack lay in the crypt, silent sleeping. Then a shadow passed through rock, through shale, through coal, through marble, through mica schist, through quartzite, through miles-thick deposits of phosphates, through diatomaceous earth, through feldspar, through diorite, through faults and folds, through anticlines and monoclines, through dips and synclines, through hellfire, and came to the ceiling of the great cavern and passed through, and saw the magma pool, and dropped down, and came to the crypt." the shadow so like the juxtaposition of a sentence that just will not end (laughs) with a two-word sentence and like the biblical nature of the and then and then and then and fucking like i was in college learning how to write when i read this story and i was like you're not allowed to go and the mica and the schist and the like that's technically speaking that's boring or like you're supposed to cut all that shit and i just love it now i think it's so texturally awesome Um, The other one was similar. I just like the texture of it and how quickly he can put you in a bizarre post-apocalypse. The poison winds howled and tore at a powder covering the land. Nothing lived there. The winds were green and deadly. They dived out of the sky and raked the carcass of the earth, seeking anything moving, anything still living. But there was nothing. Powder, talc, pumice. 
And then he has like, you, you know, it's the cool shit that he creates even in just in the for passing usage in this story. There's like these giant bat creatures that shit a glowing <laughs> string of shit that lands and gives b- immediate birth to these like blood fungus. So he creates this whole very weird, very creepy post-apocalypse. Um, yeah, kind of right. hellish, actually. <laughs> yeah. With very few words. That's what strikes me about it. Yeah. Um, is that interesting? Your father didn't kill Tom Golden. I did. No, I'm skipping that. But I will read the one about his dog dying. Because then I just think it's so baller that in the middle of this sci-fi story about the apocalypse, he also inserted this essay that ends, I wrapped Abu in a sheet with the help of the vet, and I drove him home on the seat beside me just the way we had come home 11 years before. I took him into the backyard and dug his grave. I dug for hours, crying and mumbling to myself, talking to him in the sheet. It was a very neat rectangular hole with smooth sides and all the loose dirt scooped out by hand. I laid him down in the hole, and he was so tiny in there for a dog who had seemed to be so big in life, so furry, so funny. I covered him over, and when the hole was packed full of dirt, I replaced the neat divot of grass I had scalped off at the start and that was all but i just couldn't send him to strangers oh fuck i'm choking up that's because i have a beloved dog that i abandoned <laughs> several years ago yeah it's a long story Boo. but i'm still very tiggy dude oh. tiggy was the best dog i've ever had wait you abandoned tiggy i to live still cry when life I... with your mom no, 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 not, my no, mom. Not t- oh, I'm sorry. That's Dusty. Yeah, take <laughs> No, sorry. Dusty had a great life. Um, fine, if you must know, I was I had a bad marriage, and in the divorce, the other person got the dog, and I yeah. really regret that I didn't do everything I could to fight for that dog. Meaning, like, I should have just stolen that dog and disappeared. <laughs> like, that was such a good dog, and I still cry oh. when I think about how this is sick too. I cry because he's alive. Does that make sense? (laughs) Like I wish, because I just find out through social media that he's like living a full life and being a nice old happy dog. And I'm like, no, I want him to miss me and be incomplete without me, (laughs) which is very human and self-centered. But yeah, that's like the greatest because my parents are still alive and all my close friends are still alive. I think the greatest trauma in my life so far is losing that dog. Um, So that passage really got me. Dead dogs. Sad stuff. And I think it's very striking to have that in a post-apocalyptic, cosmological, like, atheistic sci-fi thing. Um, Very cool textural element. And not quite as fragmented as the one we did with Katie Stoll, the beast that shouted love at the heart of the world. Uh, Griffin, that won't mean anything to you, but it will to the listeners. Okay, that brings us to the worst segment (laughs) ever, (laughs) where I make my guests write jokes. I don't know why. <laughs> I do not. I'm the least qualified to write one-liner jokes of any any guest you have, I'm sure. I just think, yeah, you don't even do like jokes on Twitter, which can is true of every previous guest. Um, but let's do it. We'll get through it together. So just so that s- technically some jokes exist specific to every Harlan Ellison story ever written, we bring them into the universe on this show. You go first and we'll alternate, please. Okay, this is barely even intelligible unless you've read the story, but I'll That's mark the point. Twain in my recommendation of this story. I'll mark Twain in my uh-huh. recommendation of this story. Yeah, I get it. Uh, the worst part is not only did the death bird swoop into our solar system and end all life on Earth, it even took a shit on my Mercury. That's a kind of car that is not made anymore. <laughs> That's the joke there. Uh... <laughs> 
I'm just surprised the Deathbird waited for these LARPers to finish their game to get annoyed enough to destroy Earth. <laughs> yeah, you know. Nathan and the snake are pretty D&D-ish. Or, you know, yeah. like their arc, they climb up the, and they stay in the cave. And he goes like, you're my friend now. Uh-huh. And the snake cries, yeah. Actually, yeah. it says the snake species could not cry, but he would if he could. Yeah. Um, next like, joke. Yeah. <laughs> God ahead. is insane. Satan is helpful. And I aced a multiple choice test. Truly a world turned upside down. Uh, that's that's good, because I think you're actually very good at multiple choice. tests. I'm right? pretending to be dumb for the sake of the joke. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 It's good. Juxtaposition. Like I. I'll pre- uh, I think the most common one is I'll pretend to have kids th- for the sake of a joke on Twitter. And like, I don't have kids, but you need it for the joke to work, you know? Yeah. What will you? That's allowed. If and when you have kids, will you still do that or will it be horrible if you do that? Use them for humor. Prob- I'll actually probably be more precious about joking about them if they're real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is not even a joke, but. <laughs> I'm just saying the story is my top pick for teaching young children about the dangers of allowing Satan into their hearts. It is a joke. You just lost confidence at the end. I, uh, this was this, when you said this, this was, was hard of the thing, I was like, I do <laughs> not want to do this anymore, but I'm sorry, buddy. I appreciate you. Um, last but not least, in fact, I saved this for last cause I think it's the only decent one. I've heard of going to the ends of the earth to slay some hot bush, but this is ridiculous. That was good. That's why God I, appears sent, as a burning bush at the end of the, the story. You, yeah. you made this hard for me because you actually sent me yours before I read it. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, these are decent one-liners. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's what I do. It's your job. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. All right. I like it. Well, according to e- my email, um, a package I've been waiting for has been delivered. So that means it's the end of the episode. No, we were wrapping up anyway. Um, thank you so much, Griffin. Really good chat about the death bird. If you are reading along next episode, we'll be with Griffin again, and we'll be covering the paladin of the lost hour, a decidedly different tale. Uh, this is where I'd normally ask people to plug stuff. Should we just skip that? Uh, yeah. All right, cool. I'm just a guy. Yeah. I mean, honestly, y'all are just listening into our excuse to get to talk to each other more. So that's all. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, great. But I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll catch you next time on Like Razorblade Pie. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating. So make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help Help the small beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!